Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. Uh, this is a call-in show and it's most interesting when you call in and we talk about what you're interested in. Uh, get a pen if you would and write down our write down our phone number. It's 979-845-5689, 845-5689. Or if you'd like to email, perhaps attach a picture for a plant identification or maybe what's wrong with this plant, uh, you can email me at gardensuccess, one word, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu well let's see we are entering some really nice uh, weather even though it's going to get a little chilly uh, that's okay uh, it'll, it'll just slow some other things down we kind of need our our fruit trees to be slowed down a little bit and uh, because uh, the spring is coming and uh, they'll be blooming soon our last average frost date is right toward the end of the month i think 26 28 somewhere in there and so, of course, there's no, hardly ever an average year. It's always earlier or later. Uh, but we'd like to get our fruit trees past that just so we have a better chance of making a fruit crop. And I'd like to talk about fruit trees uh, for just a moment. Certain kinds of deciduous trees, fruit trees like uh, pears, apples, uh, peaches, plums, especially peaches and plums and apples, have a chilling requirement and you may have noticed uh, someone said this is a 16 hour a 600 hour peach or a 500 hour peach well that's the number of of hours during the winter time between um, let's say 40 and 50 degrees uh, mo mostly around 45 uh, and if it gets down below 30 uh, the actually even though it's cold we're not getting chilling uh, for for those trees. So here's what happens. The tree goes dormant and the buds are asleep and they are chemically inhibited in the plant from growing. So if you have a week of 70 degrees in January or late December, they're not going to just start growing already. But as chilling hours occur, that plant has a certain uh, think of it like an egg timer. Uh, some plants are cranked up to 600 hours on the egg timer. Some are only 400 hours. And so our area typically is around 550 or, yeah, 550, 600, 650 maybe. And so if you have a 400-hour peach, well, that little egg timer is going to ding before we get to the last frost date. So a 400-hour peach may be blooming now or maybe bloomed a little earlier even and that is one that's most likely going to get hit by a frost in more years than not if you have one that's too high then let's say 800 hours well the the egg timer never makes it uh, to the bottom and it and it, or to the to the end and uh, the weather warms up so there went the chilling hours and then those plants just sputter out they don't do well at all you get a little growth at the end of branches and occasionally and eventually that chemical will break down and you'll have uh, long sections of branches that don't have any leaves on them and so on not a good plan if you want production and that's why we plant fruit trees so why am I saying all that well as you're out there shopping for trees get trees that are for this region uh, we have 
we have some good nurseries uh, here in town, garden centers, that uh, will um, sell you things that are for here. And as you look at them, just kind of examine and maybe spread it out a little bit. You know, if you're going to plant two peaches, maybe plant one that's 500 and 550 and one of them that's 600, 650, something like that. Uh, and that way you kind of hedge your bet a little bit. So if you do lose one to a frost, uh, maybe the other one will escape. And so that's kind of what we're that's what we're talking about in hedging the bet. But there are a lot of great fruit trees at our garden centers. And uh, as I visit uh, some of our local places, I just find that there is a lot of selection and it would be a good time to get those planted. Even things that are grown in a container do better if you plant them in the cool season. Uh, when you pull them out of the pot, uh, unwind any roots that are circling and dig a hole accordingly to, to allow those roots to stretch out. You can also cut the roots off. It will not kill the, the tree and I don't mean cut them off where they attach I mean uh, you can cut around the edge of the pot and sever roots and they will branch and take off growing again in fact they may establish a lot better uh, from that I know that's a hard practice to do but I would suggest it uh, if you are growing a plum most of them need uh, pollination from another uh, variety and so keep in mind that's the case. Uh, Methley is self-pollinating, uh, but some of the others will partially pollinate, but do better if you just have two varieties to pollinate each other. Apples, the same thing. Most apples are going to need a pollinator, and so I would recommend two varieties. And pears, uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, pears do pretty good. Some of them are pretty self-fruitful, but it's better if you have another variety for pollination. A lot of plants just do better that way. And I hope you're adding some fruit trees this year because they they reward you for years to come. Well, our number is 979-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, Scott emails, and Scott's got a uh, section of uh, bed near the base of his house, uh, where there uh, a certain kind of pipe was installed up against the brick, and so uh, not the most beautiful thing you want to look at all the time. And he's wondering what can we use to cover it up. He's got a low-growing juniper in front. Uh, there's a number of options on that. Uh, the um, uh, You mentioned that it's, it's in the shade quite a bit, and so there's liriope, there's green types of liriope, and there's uh, some green and white variegated types of liriope that are really attractive and they really brighten up a dark spot. They would be a good offset to the dark brick and the dark uh, 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 prostrate going, growing juniper. Uh, that would be one thing. They also fit into that very small area that you have to work with uh, in that. Uh, there are other plants that are clumping and small kind of grass-like plants uh, and so you can you can choose one of those. Uh, I'll mention some others in a moment. We're going to go to a call here in just a second. Uh, but uh, I would go with something that's clumping and that's upright enough to cover up that, that pipe and that's only about two bricks high, so that, that shouldn't be hard to accomplish. I'll come back to that in a moment, Scott. But for now, let's, let's go to the phones and talk to Will. Hello, Will. Hello, Skip. <laughs> What's up today? I well, I've got uh, some pompous grass that uh, we've had several years, and it's 
What I'm uh, wondering about is how early do you think it is we can trim it back? Oh, you can you can do that now. Uh, and you want to cut it back to, how big is the clump? Let's say how wide across the base of the clump would you say it is? Uh, one of them is about three or four feet. Okay. And, and the others are maybe a foot and a half. Yeah, and, and when they get that big, there's often a lot of kind of dead in the middle. Uh, and more, the, the greener parts, the re-sprouting parts are a little more around the outside. Uh, you can cut them off. I'd probably cut them off about maybe a foot high. Uh, if you can do that, and uh, then get all that material out of there, uh, and they will come out fresh and look really good. Now, I'm going to give you a tip for pampas grass. The edges of the leaves, and you probably already discovered this, are serrated, and they can cut, oh, yeah. they can cut you. And I've clipped pampas grass before and, uh, you know, grabbed a handful of it and was walking across the yard and a leaf that had gotten up under my trousers <laughs> began to basically walk up inside my trousers because those little hooks were <laughs> allowing it to move up but not down. Uh, what I've learned with pampas and many of the other larger ornamental grasses, uh, Will, is that if you can somehow bind up all those leaves straight up, uh, now this may take you know someone putting a piece of cardboard and pushing them up and but if you can get those bound up tight then cutting it off is really easy and getting it out of there is really easy you know you imagine just a couple of bundles uh, or a couple of uh, jute cords or whatever you use twine that have bound that total grass uh, section up that yeah that's a good idea it'll say it's a it's going to be a trick to get it up but if you do, you will really find it to be easier to cut and easier to move. Yes, I, I always make sure I've got uh, leather gloves and long sleeve shirt. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay. Do, well. Is yours a? Do you know if it was a dwarf pampas grass or a um, just regular full size when you bought it, or do you remember? I think it was a regular full size. Okay, they make one that's a little more compact, and and so that's. That's a little bit helpful. Oh, well, this this thing uh, at times grows up to about 10 feet high. That's not the dwarf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good. Well, I hope that helps. Any other questions? No, that'll do it. Thank uh, you very much. All right, Will. Thank you. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu. Uh, we'll go back to uh, Scott's question. Uh, we're planting something along the base of the house to cover cover up that area. Uh, there are there are uh, various options of ornamental grasses that stay pretty small. Uh, there's dwarf types of penicetum. Uh, Penicetum has a little uh, bottle brush-like bloom, seed head rather, on it. And uh, there's some types that are burgundy in their color, uh, and they can be kind of attractive. And uh, if you buy, there's a dwarf one. Uh, there's one called Bunny, I believe, and I'm trying to think of the other name. I can't, off the top of my head, they're not coming to me, but there's some dwarf penicetums, and that would be nice along there. Uh, it would provide a nice backdrop. The texture of it being so linear as a grass uh, would really stand out against the juniper as well. Uh, just look for, for one that's uh, kind of reddish. There's one called Fireworks, I believe, that's, that's, I believe that's the right one, and you can imagine the color on that. Uh, and so, 
Uh, that, that I think would do well. Now if it's too much shade, they're not going to do well because they're grasses and grasses don't like shade. Uh, but if you got decent sun, I think that would be an option. Well, let's go back to the phone. The number again is 845-5689 and uh, we're going to talk to Craig. Hello, Craig. Hello. What's up? I, I have a desert willow that we planted in our yard and it was doing great right up until it got 8 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, should we just leave it there to see if it comes back, or do you think there's any chance it'll come back? Now, now the 8 degrees, that was back in February of 21, right? Well, whatever it was recently, the teens, the 18. Oh, okay, the last okay. The last we had. Yeah. Uh, I think I would wait and see, and I think it's going to come back. Desert okay. Willow should be able to handle what we just had this winter. Uh, and okay. you may find some of the ends of branches are dead. Uh, and, you know, we always tell people, well, you can scratch the bark back and look for, you know, healthy living tissues below it. But, or you can just wait. If you don't mind it looking like it looks, just wait. And when the new growth begins, it'll tell you where to prune. Yeah, it'll okay. be real clear. So it still be printable after it starts coming back. Yeah, you can, because you're not going to be cutting new gro- living growth. You're going to be cutting away the dead. So you know, yeah. have this branch going out there, and the, the last half of it doesn't sprout, and halfway down you get a sprout. Well, you just prune back to that spot. Okay. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Hey, is yours a, kind of a burgundy-colored flower or more of a pink with, with some reddish stripes? Or do you remember on that one? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. It was beautiful. It's yeah. It's about six foot tall and four foot wide. We do need to trim some lower branches to yeah. make it go up some. Well, they'll get they'll get much bigger than that. Uh, but they're, yeah. it's a good plant. Just For our area, the main thing that it needs is sometimes people don't give it as good drainage. Uh, Desert Willow is not a swamp dwelling creature <laughs> it's a, yeah uh, it, it would be very happy on a limestone hill outside austin uh, you know and so we right, it over, right. put it in a low heavy clay soil and it's a little bit of a problem there well i hope you i hope it does well for you all right well thank you thank you so much for the call uh-huh you bet Bye. our phone number is 979-845-5689 979-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I'm going to go back to the email for a moment. And uh, we have a a question uh, from Desiree. Desiree, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, And she's wanting to plant some butterfly pollinator friendly things in the garden. And so perennials and annuals are both okay. Some areas are full sun, most are part sun. you already have some Turk's cap, which is one of the first things I was going to suggest, especially if you want to bring in some hummingbirds. And Turk's cap can grow in quite a bit of shade uh, and some lantana and milkweed. You know, when, when we say butterfly, that's, that's two groups of plants. There is the ones that the uh, butterfly gets nectar from, and then there are the plants that the butterfly's larva feeds on. Sometimes that both happens on one plant, but uh, there are some plants that are especially good for supporting the larva. And, and if you're just supporting the butterfly adults, that's fine. But if you support the larva, you have to, you know, be patient because they're going to eat up your plant, but these plants are tough and come back. Uh, so uh, passion vine, passion flower, things that are, that are uh, passion vines 
are very popular with a gulf fritillary uh, caterpillar. Uh, another, another thing that you might want to try, there are some low-growing, um, oh my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go blank on this right when I was about to say it. Oh, blue, uh, blue mist flower kind of flowers. That is what I'm trying to describe. And uh, the monarchs and queens seem to like those a lot too. And they, they bloom a little later in the year, which is kind of nice. Uh, so uh, when we talk about pollinators, oh my goodness, there are so many plants that it's it's hard to know where to begin. Uh, you know, trailing herbs uh, will attract pollinators. Uh, the little clumping um, onion or garlic chives will attract pollinators to the blooms, uh, all the way into some of our uh, beautiful plants that we grow in the garden uh, that have single flowers, and that would be things like echinacea, uh, or even uh, some of the the uh, sunflowers would do well like that. Uh, other things, uh, in, anything that has a daisy-like flower is probably going to be good. Another thing popular with um, the the um, uh, let's see, surfid flies, also called hoverflies, is alyssum. Alyssum is a cool season annual that stays low and kind of forms a spreading mound. Uh, and then in the summer. There's another plant that is the same genus, essentially, but we it's, it's called Lobularia, and we just refer to it as Lobularia, even though it's the same, kind of the same as Alyssum. But this one, there are some varieties that are very summer hardy. And you can, when the winter Alyssum kind of uh, plays out, you can have the Lobularia jump in and continue to provide that on, on through the season. A lot of a uh, lot of our garden plants in the vegetable garden, when they bloom, attract beneficials. You think about carrots that bloom, uh, cilantro when it blooms, uh, that those kind of bloom heads, fennel even, uh, those are going to be attractive to beneficials as well. So if you want to maybe email me at the station or uh, at the um, extension office, I will try to add to that list a little bit. But uh, there are a lot of things. You know, one thing I was thinking about about a month ago, somebody was talking about beneficials. And I'm reminded of uh, driving down the highway. I was driving down Highway 6 one time. There's a bunch of, of white blooming weeds in between the two uh, north-south uh, uh, roadways. And I pulled over and took a look at them. And I can't remember the species of the weeds now, but they were just weeds. And they were covered up with beneficial insects, tiny parasitoid wasps. Uh, the uh, hoverflies or surfid flies that I mentioned. And so we have to remember that even even weeds can be uh, helpful uh, for pollinators, although I wouldn't recommend planting them in your garden. Uh, just keep in mind that there are a lot of things that will be helpful to them. So I'll try to fill you out on some other things, uh, Desiree, if you, will, if you will email me on that. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu gardensuccess at tamu dot edu uh, let's talk about some things going on around town let's see we um what's going on coming up here okay on saturday february the 18th at the gardens at texas a&m at 10 a.m. in the pavilion. Uh, there will be a talk. It's part of our monthly Brazos 
County Master Gardener series. Uh, and actually, I'm doing the first two, and our Master Gardeners are picking it up from there and doing three more. So this will be a monthly thing, January, February, March, April, and May. And so uh, this, uh, on Saturday, February the 18th, this Saturday, I'll be speaking on Earthkind Roses. Uh, Earthkind Roses, how, how to select them, why they're important, why they're the ones you want to plant, uh, how to prune roses uh, like that, uh, shrub roses. And so that'll be free and open to the public. Uh, you can go on the website, gardens.tamu.edu, uh, and you can find a little bit more information about parking some of the lots that during the week you can't park in on the um, on the weekend you can. And so that allows you to get up closer to the gardens. Uh, but this will be Saturday, February 18th, February 18th at 10 a.m. And we'll probably go for about an hour, hour and a half, especially once we start walking around and people ask questions. That, that can drag on a little bit, uh, but at least we're having fun. On Tuesday, February 21st, the Texas A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group. They call it the GIG, the Garden Interest Group. It'll be in the Bush Presidential Library uh, uh, in the Education Room. And there's going to be a, a presentation about Nature's Best Hope, a new approach to conference conservation that starts in your yard. And it's a video presentation and discussion by uh, Doug Tallamy. Uh, Doug Tallamy is was an entomologist, I believe University of Delaware, uh, and um, he has really written some awesome books. If you are interested in, in birds uh, and supporting songbirds in our area, you really need to read some of uh, Doug's books. The one I read was Bringing Nature Home, Bringing Nature Home. He's got some other ones out now, and I, the titles are not uh, coming to me at the moment. But uh, this will be a video that he won't be there in pre person, uh, but it'll be a video. And he also is the co-founder of Homegrown National Park. The Homegrown National Park, uh, sound it's not a place you drive off to. It is your place. It is your community. Uh, and it's talking about how do we create community uh, plant settings that are attractive to birds. Now, it's kind of like I said with butterflies. You know, you can attract the butterflies, but if you, if you want them to grow and, and uh, multiply in your place, you need to have something for the larvae to eat. And so I'll tell you, well, plant, you know, passion vine. And then you call up and say, well, the gulf fritillary showed up, but they ate every leaf off the passion vine. And it's ugly. Well, you know, that's nature. It's okay. It'll come back. It'll be fine. Uh, and, you know, that can happen with milkweed and, and monarchs and other things. But we like to be able uh, to attract those in. Now, for birds, what they need is caterpillars. We think about birds as eating at our feeders, uh, and feeders can be a nice supplement, especially during some times of the year where they don't have other options. But in the spring, when the birds start to uh, lay eggs and have their young hatchlings develop, caterpillar is the number one food. And birds are going all over the place, grabbing every caterpillar they can find and bringing it back to the nest. And oak trees are an example of a, of a native species that attracts a lot of caterpillars, a lot of different types of caterpillars. And it's, they don't make your oak leaves all fall, you know, disappear. Uh, they, 
they do their feeding, but the birds find them. And sometimes when we bring in plants from other parts of the world, uh, they may not bring with them the ecological support that some of our natives do here. So for example, think about your St. Augustine grass. St. Augustine has, you know, a couple of diseases and, and a few diseases and a couple of insects that bother it. Uh, there's, a, there's only one caterpillar I know of and it's the sod webworm and I don't think I've ever seen it up here in Bryan College Station. It, I've seen it down in Houston. Uh, but anyway, that St. Augustine is basically a food desert for your beneficial insects and for your birds. Uh, and then we have a lot of shrubs that are the same way. Uh, they often, uh, we, we've brought, you know, the, the base foundation of most of our landscapes in the south are, are plants from Asia. That is, that is where, like our photinias and our pittosporum, a nandina, lots of different plants are native to different parts of Asia. And, and so when we bring them over here, there just isn't that support that brings in the pests that the birds feed on and allows the birds to successfully raise a full nest of young and help build up the bird population. So that was a long talk about one talk, but I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about uh, Doug Tallamy. He, he's a great speaker. Uh, he just, he'll open your eyes to a lot of very interesting things. So date, February 21st, next Tuesday, the Garden Interest Group at the Bush Library. It begins at 9.30 a.m. And it'll be Nature's Best Hope, a new approach to conservation that starts in your yard. So I hope you can make that. I, I promise you won't be disappointed if you do. And if you are at all interested in nature and ecology and birds, uh, books like Bringing Nature Home and what his, his newest one, that's, the title's escaping me, those are really interesting, uh, excellent reads. You'll, you'll learn a lot about it. All right. Tuesday, February 28th, the next Tuesday, the Brazos County Master Gardeners Association is going to have a very special presentation. Uh, a fellow named Charles Perillo, Perillo I believe, uh, at, with the uh, Society for Louisiana Iris Preservation. The Society for Louisiana Iris Preservation will talk about endangered iris preservation. Do you know that in East Texas and Louisiana, there are native stands of irises. Uh, we're told that there's some even in this general area, and I'm not aware of those, but uh, he's going to come and talk to them and about some of the work that's being done to preserve those natives. You know, native plants, uh, number one, they're just interesting in and of themselves, but a lot of times they have uh, material that helps in breeding processes for developing other kinds, in this case, of irises. Uh, and so always having a good uh, supply for that purpose is good, but we don't just save them for breeding. We save them because they're beautiful and, and they're, they're interesting and they're part of nature, part of, the, part of the native plant habitat that we have around even in this area. So Tuesday, February 28th, that's going to be, by the way, out at the Extension Office, which is next to the County Tax Office on County Park Court. And 7 p.m., no charge for that. Uh, that's my office. I hope you will be able to get out there and learn a little bit and enjoy it in the process. Well, our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. 
you know, there's a lot of things going on that are, I think, of horticultural interest uh, in our community. And we talk about special events, like I just mentioned, but there are things that are continuing to go on in the community. Now, you're listening to Garden Success on Thursday, uh, each Wednesday uh, in the morning, 742. Jennifer Nations, the Water Resource Coordinator with the City of College Station, has a program called Waterful Wednesdays. And I think you will find that very interesting about learning about uh, taking care of our water water supplies, be, being um, frugal in the way we use them, uh, and, and as well as some safety tips that she'll, she'll talk about there. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about some other uh, events like that that go on on a regular basis. But before I do, I'm going to go to the phones and talk to Ken. Hello, Ken. Hi, Skip. How are you? I'm well. What's up today? Well, I got a question about lawns. Um, it's uh, getting time to do my first mowing, and uh, I've got a lot of weeds that popped up uh, because of the drought last summer and just mm-hmm. lawn health. Uh, so um, I want to know, do I need to bag when I first mow, and do I go down really low to skin it? Uh well, what I would do is look at the weed. You know, there's a, a bazillion different weed species out there. Uh, look at the weeds you have and see if they're flowering or, or past flowering setting seed. If so, I would definitely bag. Uh, and as far as mowing low, that's a good idea. The more of the top growth you cut off on the weed, uh, the less there is to then later produce flowers and seeds. Uh, I've got some areas in my yard where the le- the weeds had kind of invaded and that's a, a real nice practice on Saturday morning. <laughs> the cup of coffee, going out and uh, just hand pulling some weeds, put them in a five-gallon bucket. And you'd be surprised how far you can get because I know how, how many seeds they can release. But, you know, back to your, your question, uh, yes, I would mow low. I think that's a good idea. Okay, and then on a follow-up, uh, when would be a good time to spread fertilizer? I've had really, really good luck uh, going to the co-op and getting their lawn fertilizer with, um, uh, there's something in it um, that, that that is a weed killer. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think what it is. Okay. Maybe vermectin or something like that. Okay, well. Uh, Trimec. Okay, that would be a broadleaf uh, herbicide. Uh, yeah. So, that it kills existing weeds as opposed to being okay. a pre-emergent that prevents weeds. Uh, here's when you mow. You mow when you've, um, excuse me, here's when you fertilize. You fertilize when you've mowed twice. Now, if you're mowing weeds, that doesn't count. And some of these weeds are going to take off growing like a rocket here when the weather warms up. But the, the second mowing that you've had to do for your St. Augustine that's when I would fertilize. And, and as grass comes out of the winter, uh, it has a limited root system. And as it moves into spring, new roots begin to grow. And those are the ones we're trying to get the nutrients to. And so fertilizing too early, uh, there will still be some fertilizer in the soil later in the spring when the grass is growing more. But it's not, as, it's not the most efficient way to go about fertilizing. Okay. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for the call. Okay. All right. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Other things going on in the community. Uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays, the Aggie Horticulture Department uh, puts out a v- short videos 
on all kinds of gardening topics, and, and it's, it's enjoyable to watch them. Uh, you can go to uh, aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu, and then you just need a slash and FB Live, like, as in Facebook Live. Uh, or you can just go out and search for it on Facebook. Uh, but the Aggie Horticulture Department, uh, that's every Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m. Don't wait until 1.20 because it may be over that day. Uh, there, some of them are pretty fast, and uh, but they're always timely. And the various specialists from the Department of Horticulture are talking, so you're always going to learn something. Uh, also... Uh, farmers markets around town. South Brazos County Farmers Market is every Tuesday at the corner of University and Glen Haven, which is out University almost to the bypass on the right uh, next to Scott and White Clinic. Uh, and that same market, the South Brazos County Farmers Market, uh, is also available there on Friday from noon to five. So Tuesday noon to five, Friday noon to five in the location next to Scott and White at uh, University and Highway 6. Uh, and it's actually just across the street from, you know, from Scott and White. Uh, on Farm Fridays out on Tabor Road, um, Ron Bolton's got uh, some things that are available for sale. Certainly it's the farmer's market, fresh, fresh produce, plants, eggs, dog treats, uh, hand-knotted baskets. I need to see one of those. Skincare items, gluten-free baked goods. Oh my gosh, the, the list is long. Uh, and there's also some, um, I believe, some hydroponically grown uh, greens that are involved in that. Uh, and then finally, the Brazos Valley Farmers Market, downtown Bryan at Main and 21st Street, Saturdays from 8 a.m. to noon. And the list of all the things available there is a mile long, so I won't even try to read it. Sometimes there's, almost always, there's a food truck there, or sometimes two, that you can grab some morning or lunchtime snacks. But the Brazos Valley Farmer's Market is another opportunity. These are chances to look your farmer in the eye. I like to put it that way. Uh, you, you're buying from people that grew it. And um, that that's just, that's just like, you know, when you grow your own food. You know exactly how it was grown, and you... You enjoy the process of growing it, but also the process of getting to eat it. And in this way, farmers markets, you're supporting uh, our local producers and our regional producers as well. Uh, if you're just gallivanting about and need something to do, I'd recommend you go on campus and look at the gardens at Texas A&M. Uh, they are on West Campus, and it is beautiful all year long. Even in the wintertime, there's stuff to look at and see out there. And boy, when spring pops, it's going to be amazing. Uh, but that's a wonderful place where you can walk through. There's hardscapes where you can bring a stroller and walk through with little ones. Uh, you can take your kiddos. There's, there's things for them as well. A little pump handle that pumps some water out. They can fill a a uh, little watering can and go water something. Uh, and so they, they will enjoy that. Uh, other things, the Demonstration Idea Garden. The Brazos County Master Gardeners have a garden called Demonstration Idea Garden, or the DIG. And it's out at our old office location, which is on Highway 21. So as you're heading from, let's say, uh, Brian uh, out, like you're going to go to Caldwell on 21, right before you get to 2818, uh, just a little bit before, uh, it's on the left-hand side. And you'll see it when you go driving by. Uh, you can, you're welcome to go out and wander through there. Uh, sometimes uh, during the week or on, on Saturdays, you may have a master gardener or two working in there. And that gives you an opportunity to kind of pick their brains 
and, uh, and ask some questions and, and get some advice on what's worked for them. Uh, let's see, Saturday, February the 25th uh, is the, the uh, John Ferry Garden down in Hempstead. And it's an open day guided tours. They leave at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So you got to get there early so you can sign in. Uh, it's, it's $10 for non-members of the garden, and their nursery will also be open. And that's, if you want to find more information, I'm, I'm, rather than the whole address, I'll just say go to JF garden.org jfgarden.org well our phone number is 979-845-5689 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu and one last event I want to mention is the Millican Reserve Farm Tour. That's Friday, tomorrow, February 17th, from 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, the Millican Reserve is, is one of the neighborhoods uh, south, uh, as you go south in town. Uh, and it's a family-friendly farm tour. Uh, it's no charge to go. You can uh, get a walking tour where you will uh, learn about what they're growing out there. They're one of the ones that that is at the Brazos County Farmers Market down on Main Street in Bryan. Uh, and let's see, the farm is over two acres. Um, and it's, well, they have all kinds of crops growing right now. This is a great time to go out and see the crops growing. Uh, but there's a lot of fun stuff for kids uh, that kids can learn. You can taste some of the fresh veggies, do seed identification for the kiddos and stuff. So anyway, that is out on 2154 at the entrance to Millican Reserve, use the entrance to Millican Reserve off 2154, uh, and uh, you can find your way back in there for the Millican Reserve Farm Tour. All right, let's go to the phones. The number, 979-845-5689, and we're going to talk to Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi, good day. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've been looking at the ball moss that's in my trees. I've yes. been able to reach a lot of it and it pulls off so easily and then I put it in the garbage. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch that I can't reach yeah. and the branches look like they might be dying from the ball moss okay. and maybe the branches can just be broken off if I yeah. whack them with a stick. So, so ball moss isn't a, is not a parasite. Uh, I've seen ball moss growing on power lines going across the road. So if it needed, you know, to suck some juices out of a plant to stay alive, well, it wouldn't live on a power line. I've seen it on fence posts too, by the way. Uh, so what it's doing is it's just attached to the plant. It's just uh, along for the ride up there. Sometimes as our plants uh, get a little weaker, maybe the canopy of the tree thins due to stresses, allows more light in, ball moss seems to proliferate, but it'll grow, you know, without that uh, even. Uh, the, the ways to remove it, you have two options. One is what you said, pull it off with your hand. And if it's a big tree, a tall tree, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, to do. But that is physical removal as an option. Uh, you can hire people to come out and do some of that, uh, do some branch trimmings to get some of it out. Uh, the other thing would be to spray it uh, in the spring or late winter, early spring, and uh, you, either a product containing copper, uh, well that's the main one, is copper containing products. 
they spray them up there. Now, if it's a deciduous tree, it's real easy to get the copper right to the ball moss. So that that is the best use for that. But I got to tell you, Catherine, uh, dead ball moss looks like living ball moss, and after you kill it, it will just sit there dead. <laughs> And eventually, sort of rot, and its its thing that's holding it onto the branch sort of rots away, and it falls out of the tree. But it it may take maybe a year. You're still seeing ball moss falling out of the tree. So, uh, just be patient if you spray it. <laughs> I appreciate that yeah. um, alert, and then also very happy to know it doesn't damage the trees. Yes. And very interesting about copper. I'm definitely going to look that up. Yeah, and, and take take care in it. Uh, copper sometimes can stain masonry, uh, That well, can stain masonry a bluish color. Uh, it's not as bad as using iron around sidewalks and things, uh, but that is a good a good way to, to try to manage it. Most people ignore it and just go on. Keep the trees healthy. When a limb just gets loaded up with it, uh, usually it's on the interior of the tree. You see a dead limb with it. Just prune those out uh, and just keep going. Well, I'm super happy to know that if I just leave it there, it won't be hurting the tree. You, you Thank can, you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. You can do that. And I'm going to make some other comments about ball moss here when, we, when we're done here. Did you have any other questions? Nope, that's it for today. Thank you very much and take care. All right, Catherine. Thank you for the call. Okay. So years ago, I did a, a TV show in Austin with the public television station in Austin. And uh, we, I would do a plan of the week each week on the TV show. And one year, the TV show airing date fell on April 1st. What an opportunity. So uh, some of the master gardeners and I got some ball moss, and actually one of them went to great lengths, uh, and dyed it one maroon and dyed one orange and then took white paint and painted the tips of the little ball moss hair sticking out. And uh, we took pictures of them, and we put them up and just said there, the Texas A&M has developed a new kind of ball moss, and it's maroon. Uh, and they, they also found one in the wild uh, outside in the Travis County area. And they call, we called the, let's see, what did we, oh, the uh, Baby Bubba was the, the maroon one. And uh, Hookem, I believe, was the name of the orange one. And oh my gosh, uh, you remember the Orson Welles War of the Worlds where people were ready to jump out of buildings because they thought we had been invaded by aliens? Well, people weren't jumping out of buildings, but people were wanting to know, where can I get that kind of ball moss? Well, you can get it from your tree. You just mix up some maroon dye, soak it in there pretty good, and you will have maroon ball moss. And it'll be a nice conversation piece that you can put on your table and try to convince someone that A&M released it, which, hear this clearly, A&M has not released <laughs> any maroon ball moss, much less an orange one, for crying out loud. Even though we do like the color orange, it's, it's the color of the old Aggie bonfire we used to have. So anyway, all right, enough of that nonsense. Our phone number is 979 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Now, there are a couple of plant sales coming up, and I want you to be aware of those. Uh, one of them starts tomorrow and Saturday, 
and it's at the Festival Institute on Jasper Road in Round Top, Texas. They will have the Herb Forum and Plant Sale. So get your pen. You always have a pen when you listen to the show. Uh, and you write down Herb Society Pioneer. One word, herbsocietypioneer.org. Uh, that's the website. If you put a slash in the word events at the end, you'll get right to this one. Uh, but it's herb, Herbal Forum and Plant Sale uh, at the Festival Institute. They're going to have a great selection of herbs and annuals and perennials and natives to add to your garden. Uh, and I think that's worth a little drive. I like driving out to Round Top. Uh, on Saturday, March 25th, I know that's a long way off, as as sort of is the... Um, uh, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. On the Herbal Forum, I may have said tomorrow and the next day. It's March 17th and 18th. Forgive me. Uh, on Saturday, March 25th, the Brazos County Master Gardeners have their annual plant sale. Uh, and it's the main sale of the year that they do. They'll have annuals and perennials and vegetables and herbs that are selected to, that do well here in the Brazos Valley. Uh, also, the Master Gardeners go around their yards and they dig up some of the cool stuff that is growing in their yard that they think other people just must have. And you know what? They're right. We call these pass-along plants. So pass-along plants from the gardens of Brazos County Master Gardeners will be in the sale as well. So that's always kind of kind of fun. All right. I think we've covered all the things going on in and about and around town. We'll talk a little bit about vegetables uh, today and, and what's, what we would be doing in the garden. Uh, February, as, as February ends, by and large, our cool season planting ends. Uh, there's a few things that can stretch into March, but uh, for example, artichokes and asparagus, uh, broccoli, all those um, coal crops or cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, kale, uh, collards, um, and, and mustard belongs in the same group, even though it's not a blue leaf vegetable. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, we can plant um, the, uh, if, if we're doing onions uh, as transplants, we're getting a little late for that. But if you want to give it a shot, you may be able to get some growing and at least have some small onions if, you, if you're if you determined to do that. Uh, it's also the time when we need to get any kind of a, an in, of a cool season pea planted. That would be like the English peas or snow peas, the little flat pods with the BB-sized bumps of seeds, and snap peas, the, the uh, little plump, you eat the whole pea pod and all. Those are great. And you want to pick varieties of those, by the way, that maybe about 55 days to harvest. If something says 72 days and it's a snap pea, then just especially at this time just go ahead and skip it uh, but the others you can you can still try to get in we're at the end of potato planting time for Irish potatoes uh, and uh, also spinach uh, and uh, lettuce uh, but we need to kind of wind those up now a few folks will brave their way into March with a late planting or two and that's fine but when the day length starts to get longer these um, leafy greens lettuce and spinach as well as some other plants bolt. They send up a flower head and then they're not as um, good to eat. They, they can be a little more bitter when it gets hot, uh, but also uh, their, their production just shuts down. 
with that. So you want to go ahead and get those planted. And if you want to throw in some turnips and radishes, you can do that. Uh, beets also, we can still plant beets on into March, early March. And so that's what's happening in the gardens. I would recommend you try vegetable gardening if you never have. And if you have, I would recommend you try something new. There is always something new to try. And you know, I've been doing this for 34 years. That I've been gardening for longer than that, but I've been an extension agent for 34 years. And I still, every year, learn about some new plant that I'd never grown before. In the vegetable garden, I'm talking about. Certainly in the landscape as well. Um, I'm trying uh, Asian green. This is my second year, called Chi Jemisai. And that's a long word, but uh, it's a cross between two Asian greens. One of them is Tatsoi. Uh, and it is really mild and good. And I've never grown it before. And it's really cool. And in the summer, each summer now, I'm growing some new hot weather greens that I've never tried before. Some of them are good to keep. Some of them are eh, not so much. But you got to try something new. A new type of tomato, a new variety of tomato. Uh, there's always something fun to try out, and that's part of the fun of gardening, is getting out and trying something new. Well, let's go to the phones. Uh, the number is 979-845-5689, and we're going to talk to Suzanne. Hello, Suzanne. Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, well, I'm trying to figure out how, uh, let me see if I can ask my question correctly. Okay. Okay, okay. How do you know, like on certain plants, you have something planted uh, in the flower bed or I guess mostly in the flower bed, if it's going to come back, like if it's going to kind of leaf out like a tree, say you, I've got like a little salvia, red salvia bush, mm -hmm. and okay, I just leave it like that, and the leaves come out all over it, but mm -hmm. like there's another salvia it's uh, kind of a blue Victoria. It, it comes out from yes. the bottom. How do yes. I know? Is there a certain term that I'm looking for when I when I buy a plant that I know that, okay, don't cut it down to the ground because it's going to leaf out like a tree? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And salvia is a great example of, of, of talking about this. Uh, a lot of our salvias, we cut back, but not all the way back. Some of them, like salvia farinacea, uh, mealy blue sage, we can cut it to the ground and it just comes right back out again. And most salvias, you can do that. But on something like Greg's salvia, salvia gregii, uh, it's sometimes called autumn sage. Uh, I don't like that name because it's not just blooming in autumn, it's blooming through the year. Uh, but that one is more of a sub shrub. And so we just shear it back about halfway or more and then it it branches and shoots new new growth out and looks really good. We shear it again, by the way, uh, maybe late May, early June, and get f a flush of new growth again to keep it going. So as far as how do you how do you know? I think it kind of comes down to plant by plant. Um, so you know, I, I guess it's easier to ask those uh, plant by plant. But have you ever seen the um, uh, yellow bells or? Uh, the uh, yes. shrub, yes, I've seen it. Yes, I yellow bells, and uh, the um, duranta has a little golden berries on it. Uh, yellow bells and duranta, and certain other plants, they may survive through the winter if we have a mild winter. Probably not this year, but most years. But even if they survive, I recommend just cutting them off down a few inches above the ground and let them come out fresh again. Because rather than having kind of a gangly, scraggly-looking plant, 
you can start off with a lot of fresh new growth. So that's, that's a pretty good practice if it's a perennial and you're not sure. Okay, okay. Well, uh, uh, what about vines, like say something like a honeysuckle? Would you, I'm, I, I don't have any vines planted, but I'm interested in planting something. I don't know what's good for our area, but yeah. would, would that would that I mean would it grow up on a trellis like in just one summer and then winter comes it dies down does it come back just from the ground you have to right. uh, take all that uh, growth or the dead stuff off the trellis or does it yeah well Suzanne the only <laughs> yeah for the for the honeysuckles we generally don't run them like over an arbor or something uh, just because of the dieback and but I would there's only two honeysuckles that come to mind at this moment that I would plant. And one of them is one called Pam's Pink. Uh, it is a, uh, it has a pinkish with a little bit of burgundy uh, in the blooms. And you can see one out at the gardens on campus at the corner of the German garden out there uh, if you want to see what they look like. Uh, it, is, it is resistant to powdery mildew issues and it is not invasive. And some of the old yellow and white honeysuckles that smell so good uh, uh -huh. are very invasive and you will wish you hadn't planted them if you do. The other honeysuckle that I like uh, is one that's called coral honeysuckle and it oh, okay. is, it, it's a very tame grower. I've had one that I trained around a little lamp post out in the front yard uh, and just sort of made a pillar out of it. It will grow bigger than that. I've seen it go up six feet high and start to spread uh, but it has a very pretty coral colored bloom and the leaves are almost a kind of a bluish green. Uh, I don't want to overstate the blue, but the, it's, it's a unique kind of color. Uh, hummingbirds like it, and I, I think coral honeysuckle would be another good choice for you. Oh, okay. All right. Do I have time for another question? Uh, yes, we do. Okay. 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 Uh, what about uh, these row covers that you've talked about uh, in the on your past shows, like for the squash, for that vine board, yes. uh, that squash vine, yeah. what like a row cover? Are you talking about? That's not. That's different than like the frost cloth. It it actually is now. The frost cloths now are made out of a lot of different things, but uh, it's a spun bound polyester product, and okay. they they make them in huge rolls that farms uh, use to spread them across several rows of the crop and 200 feet down the row uh, and the, it's a spun bound polyester and the frost fabric is very heavy very thick uh, okay. it, when I say heavy let me take back let me take that back it, they're literally an ounce and a half per square yard so I wouldn't call that okay. heavy uh, but the the kind for for um, keeping bugs out uh, is very, very light because you want the air to go through, and it may be a half an ounce per square yard, so a third the weight, a third the thickness of the other. So you could use those, but what I would recommend for squash vine borer is get one of the garden, um, uh, I want to say garden screening products. Uh, think of the window screen on your house, but imagine something that has smaller squares and that is just as soft and flexible as like a bed sheet and and so it's not like screen and stiff and you just lay these over you can wrap them around cages you can put them on a trellis over the plants uh, and it basically is creating a screen porch which for the for the sake of the squash vine borer we would like to keep them out just remember with squash you got to pollinate them so if if the bees can't get in there you got to get in there and do the pollinating by hand 
Okay. Well, what what kind of cloth was that you were talking about one time that you put it over your uh, your your row, but you leave the ends open? Now, what kind of okay what that kind of cover that was that? plastic. That was clear plastic, and we were doing that to warm the soil, and and because uh, it the sun shines through on the soil and heats it up, but it gets too hot if you don't open the ends up on a sunny day even in the winter. And so we close those ends down at night to create that dead air space. And you can grow, you can plant tomatoes in probably late January underneath something like that uh, and keep them alive. It, it's amazing how well that works. Uh, I wouldn't okay. recommend planting that early, but uh, that, that's just how well it works. Hey, uh, Suzanne, I am out of time, but thank you so much for the for the call. Okay, thank you for taking my call and your and answering my questions. You're Thank welcome. You. My pleasure. All right. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we're here every Thursday. Remember that we're also available by podcast on many of your podcast servers. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.